talk until I'm done talking like when I you when I answer a question are you gonna like respond with another question that's off of that it's not on the page or are you gonna stick only to what you guys um we do both sometimes okay, it's cool. like we all like yeah follow the conversation if one of us has something or if you have like something you want to say to it doesn't have to be like only you ask questions or we ask questions you answer you can okay. be more like organic conversation yeah. tight kind of like how like, I guess like how we were talking earlier you can like nice. flow like that or whatever Cool. <clears throat> hey. Mm. Whenever you're ready, Melanie. Oh, you're recording? Uh, yeah, it's on. Hot okay. mic. Uh, hot mic. All right. In five, four. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Who All Gonna Be There, a podcast by artists for artists. We talk cash shit about everything. Sometimes we get messy. And it all counts as art because we say so. I'm Mel. I'm black. I'm a woman. I'm an artist. So you know what it is. Ten times the labor, half the pay. One-tenth of the respect from everybody. This week, I'm on strike and leaving the garbage on the sidewalk. Hell yeah, Melanie. <laughs> um, yo, yo, yo. What's up, everybody? Maximiliano. Um, coming to you the other half of NTP. Um, we're really excited to podcast today. I'm going to hit you with our info. Um, this is how you can support Nat Turner Project. We have a Patreon page where we do exclusive podcast episodes which are only available behind the paywall so we get extra messy check out our stuff on etsy we got publications we got tote bags we got really really rare buttons (laughs) um leave a review hopefully a good one um but whatever follow us on soundcloud stitcher youtube stitcher facebook instagram spotify spotify all links are in the show notes um, hit us up with any art-related questions, any life-related questions, any love-related questions. You want to help with your state planning, hit up NTP. We got you. We're multifaceted. We wear many hats. And um, 
Yeah, that's us. So today we are excited to have Akela Jaffe in the studio with us. Hi, guys. Hello, how are you? I'm doing good. How are y'all doing? We're great now. Yeah, thanks for being here. <laughs> yes, thanks for having me. Akela Jaffe is a writer and a dancer living in Portland, Oregon. All right, so first of all, we're going to ask you the thing that we've been asking everyone since March of 2020, which is how are you and how has the year been treating you? I'm good. Right now I'm feeling really good and level. The year has been crazy and transformative in an unexpected way. Um, and it's been really nice to me. I just moved into my own place a month ago, so I've been like nesting and resting and allowing myself to rest which is very different than resting mm. like when you when you're like happy about it and you're like hell yeah I'm going home to just soak in the bath or like whatever so I'm learning about not having uh, shame or guilt for like not moving as fast as I kind of was moving the last couple of months before this year ended so yeah I'm I think I'm doing good right it sounds like it. So you mentioned nesting. Mm -hmm. What kinds of things are you doing with your nesting? Man, I'm walking around the house naked a lot or in <laughs> heels a lot, which I was I did that when I had roommates, but they're like my besties. So it was OK. But I've been just spending a lot of time quiet and doing a lot of artwork, which has been really good. That was the first thing I think I did to just settle in was I like set up one table and oh. was like, OK, I'm just going to work on art. And that's been really nice and just like remembering slash learning how to have daily ritual and routine uh I have like always had such an important relationship with like my altar and praying and just having like a relationship with spirit and these last couple months I was really on that like hustle grind every day because I'm moving type space and so I've been reminding myself to like wake up and put a glass of water on the altar and just like take a second because it's really easy to just wake up and be like I have to get out of the house and go to work get a coffee and all this stuff so mm -hmm. reminding myself that like 10 minutes alone quietly sitting still before I have like a list of tasks is helpful to oh. take those time for yourself nice yeah um what were like your first like creative outlets or like um where did your like creativity path start to like lead you where you are today i used to sing a lot when i was younger i still sing it's just more of like a private exercise for now but i grew up my dad's a really or my dad was a really like prolific artist in the sense that he just had this relationship with art like it was like his best friend or like his kind of like favorite cousin you know like he just was like daily drew or practiced his guitar sang or had rehearsal at the house or he was like this art was like his way of just being and so I had this really great example growing up uh but I also just I'm just like a I don't know I I can't help but like be the center of attention I think and so from a young age not to say you know like I can't help but tr try to be the center of attention I guess I'll say and I think from a young age, I was really like, you know, oh, I can sing like, yeah, I'll sing at the assembly. Like, yeah, I'll do the, the school play or like I just really wanted to like not only do what I loved, but like perform it and be seen in front of an audience. So it felt like something I just really 
stepped into naturally. I remember singing like a lot when I was little and like recording on those little tape thingies, you know, the like red ones with the microphone on them. Uh, Yeah, I I think that that is really where I got it. I was really into musicals as a kid, too. And I was an Annie when I was a child. That was my claim to fame for song. I was like, well, I played Miss Hannigan and Annie when I was 12. So (laughs) what do y'all got going on? But I had two solos. It was a big deal. But yeah, I think that art has always been like the the thing I knew that I had that like no one else had because I used to go to school with a bunch of white kids. And so I, I think I learned really early that you can kind of gain the attention that you need or like the notoriety or whatever that you need if you like have these talents, which mm-hmm. I think black folks probably feel in like a quote white world often that feeling of like well if I can tap into this talent it's gonna get me where I need to go and I think that that's been a a large part of it too is like it was a a helpful tool to navigate whiteness which is something I'm maybe saying to myself for the first time but it's something that's like a realization just growing up in this city that like art for me was also a way that I was able to kind of just be like, well, I'm doing me y'all and y'all are going to like it. So yeah. Wow. No, I didn't know I felt that way until I just said that. I'm like, wow. <laughs> Pinot Gris got me. Are you a Leo? Okay. <laughs> That's funny that you asked that. I'm an Aquarius. Oh. So it makes sense that you would think that I have no fire, zero fire in my chart. And I usually don't get along with Leos because we're the same. <laughs> Leos are also like, I'm going to be the center of attention and I like cannot handle that. So I have zero friends who are Leos. I know maybe one person <laughs> is, but it's like our opposite. Like I think Aquarians and Leos are like the oh, opposite right, sign. Yeah. Are you a Leo? I am not a Leo. Oh, word. <laughs> what is your sign? Um, my sun sign is Pisces. Nice. What about you? I'm a Virgo. Nice. I could have maybe guessed that about oh. you. Yeah. I love Virgos. Virgos go hard. They <laughs> all go hard. What, uh, what about Melanie says Virgo? <laughs> you just seem very like your house is organized and you like how make lists and I do make you don't forget lists. a lot of things. <laughs> I feel like that's a Virgos just kind of seem like they're like, I have a built in routine and then I have a secondary routine that if I don't do it, I'm going to be frazzled, but <laughs> I'm still doing my built in routine daily. <laughs> like it's a, yeah, my dad was a Virgo. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. I'm getting dis- um, more and more disturbed by the path of this conversation. <laughs> Was I on point? A little bit too much. Okay, yeah. yeah. Thank you. I'm like, nice. Max and I, like, not to tell too much about us, but, like, we just had, like, a very heated conversation about schedules earlier today. So, like, yeah, I do, I am very much attached to a kind of routine, I think. Mm -hmm. Maybe too much. Interesting. Yeah. Good to know. I wish. I wish I could be like that. I truly do. I'm trying to get, I think my routine is like cyclical. Like I think I am on like a month's routine. Like if I were to zoom out my planners 30 days long instead, you know, like, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's how I feel where I'm like, Ooh, I couldn't do the same thing every day, but I'm trying, I'm trying to get there. I admire your type. Thank you. I admire yours. (laughs) I feel like life is a little bit more, um, I think that you digest more of it that way. Mm. I think I use routine as kind of a shield. Interesting. So, 
Yeah. I think I use being, um, going by the seat of my pants as a shield. Like, mm-hmm. I think me being someone who's very, like, I'm flighty and I could do whatever I want, whatever I want, like, feels like a way to sometimes be able to just drop out of situations <laughs> or, like, not take accountability. And it feels not like a disability, like, I won't say it that extremely, but sometimes it does feel like it's very hindering to not be able to get on a routine sometimes like I'm like oh I wish I could feed myself before I go to work like you know I'm like I'm 32 I should know that I'm hungry every day and like there's certain shit that I just like I go in spurts of like cooking for myself or spurts of working out every day or you know I'm trying I am I do I do um agree with this idea of like routine and like repetition and patterns um Sometimes it seems like there isn't one, but you just have to like zoom out mm-hmm. and see that. Oh yeah, maybe it's like a twenty-six thousand year pattern. Right. Um. That was good. Like <laughs> astrology, babe. I'm like planets. <laughs> That's real. I mean, and then I think about other things that I do every day. You know, like I do write almost every day, or I oh, dance wow. almost every day, really? even if it's just a little journal time. Like I'm a journal keeper, y'all. It's what keeps me from going crazy. So. I draw almost every day, but I think our my brain, at least, is trained to not look at those things as being as important in daily routine as you would think, like, going to the gym or, like, you know, washing your face at the end of the night. That's one of the things I struggle with. I'm telling all my business on <laughs> to your audience. I'm like, I'm really trying to get better with skincare, guys. Um... <laughs> I find it really impressive that you manage to like write or dance or draw every single day. Like, is it something that you consciously like know to make time for or is it does it just organically happen for you? I think like writing is the most organic thing for me that happens every day. Like it's something that which I, you know, I'm flexing right now, acting like I write every day. Currently I haven't been, but <laughs> my whole life on average, I would say I write in my journal at least like five days a week, which to me is almost every day. Yeah. But that feels really natural because I'm like filled to the brim with thoughts and there's not enough spaces in the world. I think that I could put my thoughts. That's why I really want to write and produce for like television and movies and write books and stuff is because I think I'm gonna explode one day of all my ideas that's why I keep journals because I couldn't give that to the rest of the world people would be like girl are you good and the answer would be no so I'm like I put all that chaotic brain energy into that and then dance is something that during COVID actually I really like got a daily freestyle practice together and it was like a revelatory like mind blowing to just dance every single day without an audience and without any like deadline and without having to have steps and without having to be seen or put it on video or anything like I hadn't you know I was literally in I was in DC like dancing every single day for like hours because I'm like what else am I doing you know and that ever since then I like haven't really broken that practice and then when I don't do that it sends me into a spiral like if I don't dance for more than like a couple days I can feel myself be like Mm -hmm. you should try this because you're kind of going down and it's it feels out I'm like glad to hear other people say it's admirable because sometimes it feels like it's like just sewn into me and I like to remind myself that like I do work really hard as an artist because I have that imposter syndrome that's really good at being like "Mm, 
you could have done more. But in reality, like, you just have to zoom out and be like, okay, but you did a lot. Like, you really did a lot. So I think all artists, though, were really hard on ourselves, no matter what. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe all people. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So it's interesting to me, because, like, earlier you were saying that, like, you know, the beginning of your artistic practice was about kind of, like, kind of making yourself stand out Mm. um it was somewhat about like maybe like how people perceive you or like wanting it to be wanting artistic creativity to be attributable attributable Mm. to you um but it sounds now like the way you're describing your practice there are very like real like private parts of it Mm -hmm. that are just yours so I'm, i'm wondering like when the transition happened for you I think actually creating bass had a huge part in me, like looking at my art with purpose. Like uh, it felt like when people have a kid and they all of a sudden have discernment in this new way where they're like, mm, my kid doesn't like you, you cannot come to my house. Like, and it's no question. You're like, my baby cried two times around you, girl, get out of here. And that's how I felt with bass where I was like, oh, y'all are, you know, like, I all of a sudden had this protection on my artwork that I wasn't able to have when I was just a solo artist. Like, mm-hmm. when I wasn't, because bass is about community. I don't, off, you know, I've performed at, like, two out of the eight, ten bases we've had. So, like, it's mostly about the community. And so, for me, I'm protecting that and I'm protecting mm-hmm. them. So, it allowed me to really be like, oh, wow, I give, I actually do give, can I cuss? I give a lot of fucks about my art and it helped me be like, oh, wait, you were able to create this because you've spent your basically your whole life like being invested in your artistic practice and being a dancer like you. No one ever says to you in the studio and I went to Jefferson. So we were like, you know, it's like pre-professional training and no one ever says to you like one day you're going to dance for yourself. Like that's just not a thing. You're like in the studio constantly with people tearing you apart and you know it's productive but it's also like if you're not front and center you know exactly where you are and you know how many spots from front and center that is and you're constantly on this like how do I get better and how do I be the best and how do I get my teachers to recognize me and the audience and the artists you know am I gonna tour am I gonna audition for this and you're always thinking about how you look to other people and I think for dancers it's super easy for us to just be like I'm fulfilled by this and not really understand that like we're fulfilled because we're performing but we're not always fulfilled by like the creative practice or we don't always have ownership over our own art which I think stands for any medium of artwork like you really once you know (laughs) capitalism and art where they intersect there's a lot of Mm -hmm. sacrifice and there's a lot of artists losing themselves and not even really knowing that that's what they're doing so yeah, it's been really an interesting thing to slow down and it's forced me to have a certain level of like respect for myself as an artist where I'm not as hard on myself or as mean to myself because I'm like, are you really going to present that version of yourself to this audience that wants nothing more than just to like be in community with what you've created? And mm-hmm. I feel like I would be doing a disservice to like the people I collaborate with and to the younger artists who see bass as an opportunity like I would be doing a disservice to them to maintain this kind of like if I'm not getting validated my art's worth nothing because that you know I used to dance backup for people 
we would do a whole show and at the end I'm like I fucked up in the second song I did that turn wrong that's the first thing out of my mouth we did a 45 minute show you did eight songs you choreographed all of them you remembered the whole thing you performed the whole time and then at the end you're like that one little mistake I made so I'm learning to get away from that behavior it's hard yeah old habits really do die hard (laughs) Um, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, uh, talking about bass, and um, that's something that um, I've been like curious to hear about, and um, been interested to like hear about from you, and um, you know, like yeah, like you know, being really interested in the idea of like communities and like creating space for like Black people, um, and then I went to uh, I've been to like two different ones. I'm trying to remember which ones. I went to one that was at church, and oh, one nice. that was at that like alley in the summer maybe a couple years ago um so i've been to a couple of them and um so yeah i'm just like curious about um what was like the motivation or the motivations like um the origins um um yeah some of the i guess the experiences with with hosting these events and then future plans um but also like it makes me think a little bit about like former entities that were doing stuff like doug and um what was the other YGB mm-hmm. um, and like maybe like how base is like kind of like filling that like vacuum that potentially could have been like left or something. Um, yes. Okay. Wait, I'm going to go backwards. Cause first I do want to touch on Doug and YGB and other communities. I've noticed that no matter like the people are reflected by their creatives who are in that project and YGB is still doing a lot of work and they're so phenomenal and I think that Roshonda and everyone on that team, I used to work with YGB when I first met Natalie and them and they are like, to me I see what they do as this very like a level up for me in the sense that they are able to have a little bit more like structure than I am and I also just, you know, Roshonda's been in the game longer than I have and I think that they've learned how to tap into these like communities and these resources in a way that I really aspire to. And then when I look at Doug, I see Doug as this DIY, like very punk, very like, you know, we're really doing this off of the the strength type shit. Like this is the house we all live in and this is where we're at. And, you know, I know the women who started Doug very closely. I grew up with Mia and I'm obsessed with Medina and you know, I I think all the women, Zandy and Janessa and everyone who ever like put their hands in that project, like I see it as this really genuine thing. And so when I look at Bass, I do see rem- like remnants of Doug in the sense that Bass brings out this very like young queer community that I've, a lot of people I've literally never seen. Like every time I, ha- I do Bass, I'm like, wow. You know, like it's just the most beautiful, like, I can't imagine being 21 and queer in Portland and being able to go, first of all, anywhere that wasn't all white gay men, you know, like any queer space that wasn't two lesbians and all white boys, you know, and no shade to those spaces. I've danced and performed and cut it up at a lot of those things. But at the same time, like I, I see people come to base who need base and I hear people say things like, this is the only thing I go to. And I know a large part of that is that we create a safe space for queer black people. And that's something in Portland that I don't see explicitly done a lot in a way that feels actually safe. Like I think a lot of the 
BIPOC, QT, POC, you know, like all the anagrams that you can have, like a lot of those events in Portland end up allowing for these multi-communities to come and be a part of it, which is all well and good and great. And I've just seen how like much a mass of just black folks base is brought out. And it brings me like, brings me a lot of joy and it also has put a lot of like pressure on my heart in the sense that I feel the need to continue to create these spaces and to protect those spaces and now even more to kind of advocate for them remaining these really like queer spaces and safe spaces and not even necessarily being like this is a queer only space but more so through the branding of base letting people know who the fuck we are and that this is a company that's ran by basically you know i'm one black queer woman and then my whole tree of people essentially are queer and so i like i've never really taken the time to have base kind of come out of the closet as an entity but it feels like important that that's what we were able to create and really naturally and as far as future things go, you know, we've done, so BASE stands for Black Artists Spring Showcase. That was the first thing we did. And I basically just was like, I've been wanting to do a variety show for years. And I was like, let's just do something really easy. People can just submit to perform. It can be anyone. You have five minutes, you get paid 50 bucks and come to my backyard. Our toilet has never was never the same after this one day, but it was beautiful. We had like 50 people come. It filled out the space and like, you know, we had a friend do belly dancing. My friend did this like beautiful like piece about from a play that he's doing. And we had dance soloists and I did a solo. And my friend like discovered while she was hosting that she wants to be a stand up comedian. Like we just had like, it felt really wholesome. And it felt very much like what I need is to just hold space for people in a way that is a little bit removed from all the extra shit we do all the time and you know in Portland I think there's this thing about creating space where you're like you want to get clout and you want to like you know we always want to go to the Nike ball and the tight shit and the you know whatever the summer party Adidas throws and all this cool ass stuff but I was kind of coming from this place of like black people in a room making music done you know like that's what I said on the mic. I was like, black people getting together and making music and dancing is the most regular, regular shit we could ever fucking do. And so the more we do it, the more regular, regular that becomes. And the more we realize, like, I don't know, I go to other places and, like, niggas are freestyling, you know, at the barbershop. Like, niggas are at their cousin's house at night drinking wine. Like, we got to work in the morning, like, telling jokes and cutting up and dancing and making shit up like we're we're creative together in so many ways and I crave that in Portland like I crave to be able to just walk down the street go to a bar and see black community just being and existing and Mm -hmm. base really felt like it was space for that and like we really got to feel what like quote safe space is because I actually don't safe space is such a loaded term but I think safe space is an in, the only way you can control safe space is internally. And so we did the best we could, I think, with keeping our spaces safe. But I also think that, I don't know, I'm like, there's a tangent I could go on that I feel like we had a, something happened at our last space event that kind of put me on pause. And I, it was essentially like someone, a black man having a mental health crisis and Mm -hmm. it rippled out into our community and people were physically assaulted and property was damaged and 
it was something that was really traumatizing. And because it was a black man and because he had been in community with us all night, we all, I think, were extra like, what does this mean for us as like an arts community moving forward? Like how, for me at least, I was like, how do I start holding space with base for what we're seeing in our community and like just what we need like we need more than just coming together and like drinking and dancing i think is what that showed me is i was like wow like a lot of us need to go to space and be around community and be heard and be seen and be witnessed and be addressed and be listened to and i don't think that people are getting that i think we're i'm often going out and i'm like nice i'm around community and then i'm like okay i'm just gonna get drunk i get like we are so needing that like deep like eye to eye like hand on your heart type connection and that's really what I witnessed with this man is I was like damn like at the root of this what I picked up was what he really just wanted was us to like hold space for him and listen for him listen to him and it just got escalated in a way that everyone was trying to protect themselves and you know you can't control that but put me on pause and it helped me be like what does it look like to hold black space period and how do we as a community make sure that we're learning and teaching the tools to really like hold space for people wherever they're at? Cause I am, I was like so hurt that I couldn't show up better. You know, like I was like, oh, I wish I was able to deescalate. And I'm thinking about all these trainings I've had and all this, you know, I'm like, I should be doing this nonviolent communication. But at the end of the day, like when things happen in the moment, like all of us, our emotions and our, you know, our, your animal self kicks in where you're just like, I got to get through this situation. So it's helped me see, it's really opened my eyes to just like, there's a lot of responsibility in holding space for people, no matter if it's 10 people or a hundred or a thousand. Um, with, uh, one of the things I'm thinking about, like with the things you're saying is like, um, how, how is it like, how can you, um, as like, one of the main facilitators of these kind of events like enjoy the event but then also like you know do these other things that you're talking about because sometimes it seems like oh you have to be like working the whole time in order Mm -hmm. to like you know acknowledge people to make sure like hold spacing for people it's like is that something there's like is there a way where you can do that enjoy yourself or is it like have to be where like i'm just working when these events are going on that's a good uh, really good question actually i probably have actually like fully enjoyed like it actually dove in maybe like one base or two I enjoy all of them obviously but I'm like there's so much work happening and I'm super stubborn and I also am like very ADHD wait to the last minute kind of bitch so I end up on the days of the show handling a lot of tasks on my own because I am still learning how to delegate and I'm watching this thing grow as it happens so and I'm a control freak So a lot of the time I'm like, I'll do it. It's fine. I got it. And the time I could tell someone to do it, I could just go do it. So I've, I enjoy, you know, like base after dark, we did this like late night, like we had pole dancers, we had this jazz show, we had a DJ. It was the best show we've done for sure. It was my favorite thing. And it was the audience was like 95% black women just like dressed down and I was like okay we did a good thing y'all like this if the audience like my friend's mom came in her savage set (laughs) with her Tim's on and I was like girl you show me this picture of your mom and she didn't even bring her mom like her mom was there like girl you're here at base I'm here with my friend like she and that like intergenerational like black women getting to feel sexy in these spaces like that was so successful and then I think about that night 
And it took me like three weeks to come back from that show because I was so haggard. Like I didn't sleep till 9 a.m. I didn't watch any of the show. You know, I didn't enjoy the stripper section because I was trying to be the DJ because I was taking too much. I didn't know how to tell people, can you just run the playlist? Because I already felt like I was asking a lot from people. Like you, when you really dive into your craft, you like see, it mirrors back to you the parts of yourself that you are like really working with, you know? Like you're really like, okay, you're insecure about these things. Or like you just had this interaction with this person that now... You're going to go home and think about, like, how you didn't do enough or how you wish you had this, you wish you had that. So it helps me doing it alone. And I had so much help from my friends. I don't ever want to sound like I did it alone. But, like, taking on that role of, like, being in charge and hosting really forced me to be, like, okay, you clearly care about this thing. You clearly are really passionate about it. And now that's a part of this pause is, like, learning how to delegate because I have homies who come up to me at base where they're like girl can you go get a drink and chill out bitch can I let me do this for you like my friend Jasmine is always like babe are you good it's we're having fun she's like we're dancing babe it's about to be fun and I'm all like no but we only sold 30 tickets so far like I'm like I can't separate my ego can't separate from it so I want to learn how to enjoy the time because part of me is kind of like what's the point like if you do all this work to bring this beautiful thing to your community like is it still going off if you then didn't clean your house for a week can't get up out your bed for two days you know like I was it took me so long to come back from that show but you know it's a part of the thing I think any any craft you do you have to have that aftercare and I'm learning how to do that yeah do you feel like you your ideal future iteration of this would be a little bit less hands-on for you and more delegating it out? I would love that. I would love for BASE to become something. That was the goal when I started BASE. Part of it was I'd like to create a show that runs when I'm not here Mm -hmm. and that my community is getting a check when I'm not here or if I'm here and I can say these 10 people are making a rack at this show every month or this is our tech team, these are our performers, this is the person who's in charge of booking them. I'm gone, base is its own entity. That is what I would absolutely love. But in the big scheme of things, like I want base to become a production company or like a creative house. And so I intend on being super hands-on through all the things, but I think when it comes to like the event production itself, like I have to learn which Basically, I figure out what do you give a fuck about and what don't you. Like the promo, for example, I'm like a nutcase. So I will sit on my little dumb free phone app and work on a promo for eight hours because I'm like, this has to look how I want it to look. But when it comes to like, you know, messaging all the artists and sending them like the stage shit and just the info, like I could easily delegate to that that to someone. So Mm -hmm. I want to learn which tasks are which tasks are emotionally like pinned for me and which tasks are actually just like truly admin and someone else could do. Yeah. Cause yeah, I'd be like, Ooh, someone else wrote this, this sign. The font on this is so like, I'm like yeah. Control freak. Mm-hmm. I just asked one. Did you ask one? Yeah, I just asked one. Okay. <clears throat> Um, 
yeah, like I, I think I'm I'm really interested in um, all these ways of like organizing that you're doing. Um, and I feel like a lot of the questions you're like wondering are like questions like Melanie and I will like ask ourselves in a lot of ways mm-hmm. too, um, especially with like handing off like infrastructure or mm-hmm. like ways of creating something that like can be propelled post you or whatever. And then it's like um, how to make other people feel like some ownership in mm. it. And I think feel is like an interesting thing. And it seems like um, based on the stuff you're saying, it does definitely seems like there's um, a lot of people that do feel like a part of it and like are wanting to like support it and like yeah. maintain it and stuff like that. So I think that that sounds, that's when it sounds like really cool. And it's really cool to think about like the ways you're going to continue to like um, expand it or the different ways um and i guess also like um as as people that do do like wear a bunch of different hats i'm also always curious about like how you um negotiate time between like Mm -hmm. facilitating projects versus like your own art practice of like you know Mm -hmm. writing and like dancing um how um how do they like inform each other but how do they like maybe like restore you for the other thing Mm -hmm. that's a good question I, yeah, I think I go in waves. Like, I find myself resting hard for, like, a month at a time and then being, like, pushing for a show for two weeks or whatever. Like, when we did Black Feast in September, we went so hard. Like, we were, like, when it was done, everyone was like, okay, don't talk to me for four days. Like, we had so many meetings and so many Zoom calls and so many, like, planning sessions. And it was incredible, and it made for one of the best shows I've ever done, honestly. But it was one of those things where we were all like, okay, like we're exhausted. And it informed me that I wasn't allowed to do a show for another like full month. Like I was like, this is the last thing I'm doing. Cause I did, I had a hernia surgery in July and two days before that I did base backyard base. And then I got a hernia surgery 48 hours later. And then I did base after dark two weeks, three weeks after that. So I was like healing from a surgery did base after dark and then went immediately into black feast and so when that was done it made me be like your shit is not together you know like your room is a mess your journal's been sitting here dusty for a month like you haven't cooked for yourself in like weeks you know your uber eats bill is crazy like your <laughs> my roommate was like bitch can you clean the house you know like it was very much this like okay, your your personal life does suffer when you don't have a balance in your art world. And I always reserve space for show week to be fucking nuts. Like, I, my whole life, it's when you're a dancer, like, the week of your show, nothing else matters. Your shit, you can eat whatever you want. Like, the rules are, I could order any takeout I want, and I can, you know, I just need to take care of myself. And I like that full push. Like, I live for that feeling. Like, me and my friend who are doing this residency right now, we were just today talking about how, like, dancers literally live to perform like we live for a show we live to put weeks of work into a 10 minute piece that we'll never do again you'll never (laughs) look back at it sometimes you'll watch it but like we live for that so the the push is so fun but I have to learn like the when the push is pushing too much and now I'm learning as an adult like there are shows like there have been shows that I've fully planned and put on the calendar and had to pull out of there are shows there are bases that I've had to be like yeah I'm choreographing a set had two rehearsals and I had to hit all the dancers being like hey y'all I can't actually facilitate this and choreograph and dance in a piece and that to me is a big win because I used to push 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 and put out stuff that wasn't at the quality I wish it was at 
or cry and freak out and have an anxiety attack because I'm way overwhelmed. And so learning how to at least say no sometimes has been like the biggest win for me and how to not feel like I'm letting people down when I do have to say no or when I do have to like drop the ball and things or you know like base after dark we didn't get photos taken and I was like you're trash like you did this whole show and you didn't get any footage and we've done a bunch of shows in years past where we like did everything and got no video footage or whatever and like those are the things that slip through the cracks when you are working burning all the ends at once of your candle and that's the stuff those are the mistakes that as I get older I'm like I don't want to miss out on archiving my shit or having the lighting correct or whatever because I was frazzle dazzled so we're figuring it out (laughs) we are um you mentioned uh, a residency is that the new expressive works Mm -hmm. residency it is um could you tell us a little bit about that yeah me and my best friend grace we've been dancing together for like 10 years we both went through the jefferson dance program but they are two years older than i am so we have all the same teachers and we were on the same company growing up but we never actually danced together so when we met we were kind of just like your family like we've been taking class together for years like we met in our friend tj's class and it was like that instant like oh you're my ace like this person is like my person and we've performed together with so many artists and done music videos together and gone to festivals together and been on this like amazing dance journey and COVID I think was really hard for us because we both saw our industry like no one knew what was going to happen in professional dance like in my head I was like no one needs backup dancers if the world you know I'm like if the economy's crashing like who the fuck wants to pay dancers like I was like our industry is going to change forever like I think we both saw this big change from like rehearsing all the time and practicing all the time and performing all the time to just nothing Mm -hmm. and teaching a lot. And so now we've been talking, we spent really the last three years just having a lot of conversations about like what dance means to us and what it means for us to be community leaders and to be also dancers who grew up in Portland and who've been taught by Portland dancers. Like, to me, lineage of dance is really important. And like, we went to Jefferson and like, the Jefferson dance program is like, it matters so much, you know, like it's put out incredible, incredible dancers. And so for us, like, we have a lot of talks about the responsibility we have to our teachers to pass on what they've taught to us, because I would be no artist, like, not even just dance I would not be able to be an artist without the dance teachers who like imparted all that wisdom on me and screamed at me and held me while I cried and you know like let me just parented me through my teens basically so all that's to say we've we decided to apply for this residency and for us I think it was kind of this like okay it's our it's time now like we both I think are very easily in the house all the time and we were like this is it like this is going to be us like getting back into the dance world and it's a Subashini is this amazing amazing creative director and she's a a, she does traditional East Indian dance and she's just like you know the first thing she said to us in our meeting with the cohort was she was like I don't she's like I'm not from this like western world of dance like I'm not from this like gate kept like fine art world so the way she offers up her information and her resources are just in this beautiful tribal way of like I have the information and the resources let me give them to you because you're at my table versus what I think I've experienced a lot in this dance world which is very like 
who has the money, who has the funding, they're going to keep the money and the funding forever, no matter what their creative practice is. And most of those places are contemporary and modern companies that are majorly white. And so there is a lot of gatekeeping in the dance world when it comes to funds. Like, obviously, anyone can dance, but to have access to space and to money is a huge thing that most of us don't see in this city. So... Suba opening their space to us, you know, we have six hours a week. We're going to do a community show in June, three nights, and it's four different, like, groups in the cohort. It's two soloists and then two duos, and we have, like, a 20-minute piece in that. So we're working on doing, like, a truly, like, a hip-hop mini-show, basically. Like, we're we're being, like, let's pretend this is a half a show, like, a pre-intermission. Like, we're going to put in as much as we can to it and really just highlight especially like the women and the dancers that we've grown up with who we feel have not only like similar training but just a kind of a similar feeling about the world right now where they're like trying really hard to protect their creative voice and their heart and their spirit while also like not completely losing it in capitalism and you know we are all going through it constantly like all my friends were all big criers and big feelers and big thinkers and dance has been this thing that's like kept us together when we were younger and I'm I think we're both kind of trying to bring that feeling back of like the studio is where I went when nothing else was what it you know like the studio is where I went every day but like dance practice was the only thing that you're like this is gonna be great even if I cry and pop a muscle and a bone out of place like this is my I know this is always going to be feeding my soul. So I like to think that this residency is kind of our first step back into this world of being like, we're dancers at the root, no matter how long you take a break for, no matter if you don't teach for five years or if you don't perform on a stage. I got to touch a stage for like two years and like that, that's not been a norm for me since I was like 10 years old, you know? So like this practice is like, it's like our spiritual practice. So the residency is like this blessing that I think is way bigger than it is actually. Like it's gonna be like the catalyst for a lot of change I like to think for us, which is great. So I'm curious um, because the way that you have described your dance practice, it feels like very collaborative, very community-based. So I'm wondering if like your dance practice is primarily collaborative or if there are parts of it that are private um, and individual and then parts of it that are collaborative. Both, yeah. Mm -hmm. I would say as a choreographer, I'm very um, (laughs) not the same person as a dancer. Like as a choreographer, I'm really like, I'm running, I wanna run the rehearsal, I wanna be in charge, I wanna say what it is. But as a dancer, I love the collaborative process and Mm -hmm. so I like the discernment between are we collaborating or is Akela in charge as the head choreographer? Mm-hmm. And Grace, like, you know, we've been performing together for years and I have never seen my own ego at such an ugly place as when I'm having to collaborate on something that's, you know, it's ours. Like, we'll do a set for an artist, we'll choreograph it together. And I'll be like, okay, the hand is at your shoulder. And they're like, no, the hand's at your waist. And inside, I'm like, it has to be at the shoulder. If it's not at the shoulder, I'm not right. But and then in reality, like, it really doesn't matter. And so that, like, ego attachment to, like, being right and being in charge, like, that's something that I've been really trying to work through in collaboration, not only just in dance, but just in general, mm-hmm. because 
the older you get, the more that the artists in the room are people you really respect. Like, 10 years ago, I was working with people I didn't give a fuck about. Like, and I'll say that on, on God's internet, that a lot of the artists that I worked with and for, and not, you know, definitely not the artists we danced behind, but I'm talking about mostly, like, these white creatives, LOL. A lot of the shit I've done here, I've been on set, like, y'all are tripping. You know, like, y'all don't have no creative ideas. Y'all can't pay us. Y'all can't this. Y'all can't that. And now I don't feel that way. Now I'm in the room with people who I deeply respect. So chances are, if someone I deeply respect is saying, hey, boo, can we walk on one instead of on eight? They're probably right. You know, they're probably not trying to be like, Akela doesn't know what she's saying. They're actually just trying to make the step easier. So... I'm really learning how to collaborate because I love being in charge. Like I'll be in other people's rehearsals and I'm all like, ooh, can I make a correction? Like I have to like mute this part of my brain that wants to like take charge. That's why I've been trying to carve out more space where I'm like, I'm gonna teach a class now or I'm gonna choreograph this set because it allows me to like, you know, funnel all of that control energy into this one space and then when people offer up like ideas, you know, dancers are brilliant. Like so many rehearsals are collaborative. Like your whole cast is always checking for you and they're like, oh, you did this and it felt better. Like, what do you think about this? Or like, I saw that in this one run through, you actually put your hand here and it actually kind of looked better. And what, like, it is this back and forth process. Like, you know, dancers create this single body out of many bodies and you can never do that with always having one person in charge so yeah. there's always collaboration but I have always want to be in charge for sure <laughs> do you feel that that's because because of ego or do you feel that maybe like you're attached to a certain vision mm. or a certain feel or look yes I think both I, I'm learning you know I have to I'm learning how to check in with the self like recently I was doing a or I'm working on a project and the imagery that came back after someone made an edit, I was like, fuck no about. <laughs> and I really, like, I called my best friend. I felt cra- Like, I was like, am I being a bitch or am I actually, like, is this a principal thing? Uh-huh. And I had to talk it out and figure out, like, why it was that it was irking me. And you have to be like, you know, like, there's a difference between being, like, the line on this flyer is black when it should be brown. And being, like, like in this particular case, it was that... The original flyer had like a dark skinned black woman on it and then the flyer that came back had all these white body characters on it and I was like guys I like can't like I went from being like I don't know if I like this to being like I won't put my name on this (laughs) you know like I had to really be like no my spirit is saying you whoever redid this is equating softening the image with whitening the image and that principally doesn't sit with me versus being like the elbows here instead of here like (laughs) It is, it has been ego in the past, but I, I have to, I think, give myself a little more credit to be like, sometimes it's your gut speaking for a reason. And I literally just talked to my therapist about this yesterday where he was like, you know, sometimes people need to hear the truth and your feeling that you shouldn't tell the truth often comes from this, like, I don't want to ruffle feathers, but artists have to be like, this is what the fuck I want. You think Beyonce is over here like, I don't want to, even like artists smaller than Beyonce, you know, like yeah. I don't think many, especially black women, like we have to stand our ground. And when we're collaborating with each other is when that's when you really have to learn to like collaborate is because you're like, oh, I have a different respect for you. So I, I'm not going to be right every time. Mm-hmm. But when I'm out in the world as just a Kayla and I'm like fending for myself in what feels like a very white 
arts world in Portland, like I have to learn how to come into the room being like, don't quite like don't quiver when you say I actually want the blue to be black. And I don't give a f- even if I go home and I sob about being an asshole, which often does happen. Like I'm like, I'm doing so much in this text message. Like <laughs> I I have to learn how to just be like, this is what I need because it's important in the vision the vision is the art, you know, like often the project comes from this tiny, this one word drops down and you're like, oh, I'm about to do this. Like, so if the vision isn't correct on that, then to me, like the promo, the the one image you use to put a show out is everything. Yeah. Like, I don't, I'm like, we are, imagery is so important in our culture and I don't even think that people take the time to really recognize that all the time. Like one image can change. You can see one thing and be like, oh, or be like, I mean, as someone who teaches media literacy, I'm always shocked at how little people interrogate the things that they're looking at, Mm. you know? That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, like, I think a lot of the time we're able to just be like, this is tight. Like, we have this idea (laughs) of, like, shit has to get done. And I think that, like, over the years dancing, I have learned the hard, hard way that the shit has to get done mentality that is reserved for a huge check. That's what I just came to that conclusion oh. this week. I said, this shit has to get done. Like, that's for Nike hit you up and we got eight racks for y'all and we need the piece in two, 48 hours. That's when you hit the gas and you are like, all the dancers at the studio right now. <laughs> but this, like, last minute, we got to get this done. We got to push it out when it isn't feeling right. Like, that's a huge, like, that's a bane to our culture in general, not just artists, but people, period. This idea of, like, I can't call in sick. I got to push it out. And you're like, girl, your whole toenail is falling off. Or, like, <laughs> you know, like, you have a fever, babe. Like, people are so, especially black folks, we're like, oh, yeah. I'm good. You know, like, I, my dad never went to the doctor. Like, we have, like, a no doctor family. Like, we're very, like, I'll just eat some garlic. I'm fine. Like, we're stubborn people. But, but <laughs> don't you feel like that's not happening in a vacuum? I feel like people are requiring more labor Mm. from black women yeah i mean what she said (laughs) in the beginning of this was so fucking real like because the labor i'm not like yeah the labor is first of all it's a lot of subliminal labor that is required of black women that we we didn't consent to and that other people don't think that they're asking of us Mm -hmm. and a large part of that is comfort entertainment auntie energy girl you got this energy like I go to work and I'm like entertain, you know, like I'm like a personality hire and I know that like I work at like a white spa and I'm like, I'm one of three black people in this whole business. Y'all won't check me, won't say shit to me. And everyone here thinks that your place is diverse because I work at the front desk. So what the fuck are you going to say? Like we, I'm learning as a person who's worked in service industry. I used to nanny white kids for like 10 fucking years. Like I've really had to learn how to do less at work mm-hmm. because they will take not just they, they isn't just white people, they is everywhere, will yeah. take, and we will give, and I think that's a big part of it. That is, yeah. Yeah, and I want to, you know, that's something I had to learn with bases. I'm like, I want to, I don't want to bend over backwards. I think I all do, we all do, but, like, I want to give, I want to be giving, I want to be generous in my way of, pers- like, I just think that's a way of me being a person, but, like, I think black women in general could learn no learn no in a hard way soft way like that's why i'm like this is a tangent but like the the women rap that's coming like the music the hip-hop music that's coming out of black women mm-hmm. in the last decade i'm like this is what we need to hear like black women just being like 
I said 20 racks. I didn't say 18. You know, like, I said be here today. I didn't say be here at 8.30. I said 8. Like, I didn't say you were my boyfriend. I said we fuck. You know, like, that type of just discernment and just very, like, this is my space and y'all need me here. Like, that's something that I'm trying to, like, pull out more, especially in a city like this, because... Y'all are going to take my blackness. You know, like, I don't have to be like, oh, hi, sir. It's so nice to see you. What's up? Like, I could literally just be like, what's up? And you're going to love it because I might be the only black woman you're going to come in contact with today. And what you're getting for me is like, it's like worth so much mm-hmm. in a place like this. Maybe if I was back in D.C., I wouldn't feel this way because people come in contact with beautiful black women all day long. But in Portland, I'd be like, Y'all are lucky to get my bratty, shitty, tired energy in here. Like, and we need, I think we all should have, have that feeling more often. Yeah. Um, so you said you're an Aquarius sun. <laughs> I'm back. I, can this, I can cut this off if you don't. Um, but I would have to guess that of your other main two, one of them is Sagittarius. No, that's so funny. I have zero fire in my chart, and I'm always like, I don't know how that's possible. My, I'm a air, so I'm in a Libra rising, Duh. which Libra risings are notoriously just like chatty babes, you know. So, and then I'm a Cancer moon, which I think keeps me from being a sociopath because. <laughs> I have, like, the rest of my chart is, like, I'm going to Venus and Aquarius also, which to me, I feel so bad for my past lovers, honestly, because we're so... Do they say, like, if your Venus, like, aligns with your... um, You're, like, a true... That you're, like, but you're also, like, like, better off than, like, other people that are, like, more removed from their Venus, because, like, it's if your Venus is, like, either the thing you are or one to either side of you, that's, like, more involved versus somebody that's, like, Venus is, like... That makes sense, actually, because love is, like, such a huge focus of our lives, so it makes sense that, like, people would hope that their personality would match how they love, because it is two very different languages, like, who I am versus how I love people. When I tell people how I've been in relationships, they often say, you, Kayla, you seem so nice, and I'm like, I could be a dick. Not, like, verbally a dick, but just, like, action-wise. Yeah, Aquarius. Hyper-independent, <laughs> get out of my shit. I know I said I liked you last week, but, like, I think I'm someone who I I fall really deep in love. Like, if I'm in love with you or I've ever been in love with you, I'm never not in love with you. Like, I will ride for you till death. Are we speaking still? Maybe not. But if you <laughs> called me, like, I need you right now, I would be there in a second yeah. after, it could be 10 years. Like, that's the kind of bitch I am. But I'm also hyper-independent. And the older I get, the more I realize that, like, I try to be in monogamous relationships and they are not good for me. But I have the capacity to truly, deeply love multiple people at once. And I think this whole term, like, solo poly, like, I really am like, oh, I think that's me. Where at the end of the day, the person I want to come home to is me. And at the end of the day, I don't want to share Like, the idea of sharing a bed with one other person Every night, it makes me want to throw up. Like, I, I used to work at a coffee shop, and this woman and her husband would come in all the time. And she's like, yeah, the first, when we got together, we didn't spend a night away from each other for three years solid. And I said, that is my worst fucking nightmare. Like, I want deep love, but I think there's, like, and maybe it is Venus and Aquarius. Like, I think we see love in this very, like, big way where we're, like, Love to me is an hour on the clock. And I think for some people it's half the clock. And for some people it's the whole clock. 
And for me, when I'm PMSing, it's a third of the clock. But every other time of the world, I think it's just one hour. And that's saying a lot. I think I still do a lot. Like, I think I still fall really deep in love for it being an hour. I think that just speaks on how much I, like, I think a lot of people love is the ultimate success. Like, if I get married and I have a family, that's success. But for me, if I don't write a book before I die, did I even walk on this earth that's me I'm like yeah I I don't want to I don't care for marriage like I don't want to birth kids I want to raise kids but like none of that is really my spirit is very like these are my creative goals and if I don't do them I'm not gonna be settled and I think that that has been something that in my relationships I've that term I just or like that sentence I just said has been way bigger and stronger than I thought and it was always something that I was like this is fine but now that I'm older I'm like oh no like you really can't focus on your relation like that's really not the person you are you're really not the like domestic come home to my boo every night like I'm very like I'd like for you to not talk to me for 48 hours so I could focus on this thing but then as soon as I want you around I need you to be totally fine <laughs> with my energy switching completely and me being obsessed with you and in your face like I want that that freedom and I want that independence. And I think to me, like the people who understand my solitude are like the people who get the most for me and like the people who receive the most love. Like people who are like, why haven't you called me in two weeks? I'm like, get ready for four weeks, babe. Like, but people who are like, hey girl, after six months, like it's nothing. Like that's a, it's a cherished thing for people to truly understand that like not all of us are ready and ready to go all the time like you know and I think I'm like of the firm belief that like love as we look at it is very different than how we portray it as a culture and I think we we're unlearning that a lot yeah um I know I mean not for the viewers but like off air um you were talking about the bachelor earlier (laughs) um and this is adjacent but uh the um have you watched Love is Blind? I have, yes. yeah. So I think, like, the this idea of, like, you know, wanting to, like, be loved in, like, certain ways, it reminds me of uh, the, the Raven and SK. Oh. And um, I feel like when they were, like, before all the crazy stuff, or before all the bad stuff happened <laughs> early in their relationship, when they were, like, talking about, like, how to, like, exist with each other there is so much about like i like have these particularities but like i need to like i don't need to like change i just need to like be accepted in these particularities and like um you know finding somebody that like accepts that and it's not like i want this person to um do these things but it's like oh yeah how um it's like how do i learn to like love not like how do i learn it's like how do i like love this person in a way that like they want to be loved and it's Mm. like you know i guess it's like negotiating i think like what you're saying like the ideas of love we have in our head versus Mm -hmm. like this very real like complex person in front of us and like knowing that like because i feel like this is like even like with any type of like understanding like we yeah we may like speak the same language but there's so much that can be like lost in in communication Mm -hmm. like how do we like yeah what are these things that can be potentially be seen as like the same thing but then like maybe in practice are like very like different or very like nuanced and it's like and then i know so even it's like oh <laughs> what a reality show but i'm like but why but, use that example? but because because i was watching that one <laughs> then i was like i was watching that one and i was like oh yeah there is like 
all these different ways to love a person um, versus like wanting like to love a person the way you want to love them and mm. like getting those results is like oh yeah like that's just like this one thing that maybe isn't like the right fit but it's like yeah. how do you meet this person where they are and like know that there's like times um, you know because everything like fluctuates too so I think it is like this idea of like you know sometimes time away and time yeah. together yeah. I think I'm kind of a cynic because I, I just as I get older I feel like more and more our expectations or our beliefs about love are very much shaped by our like our circumstances our mm. cultural our regional like like all of those things kind of shape how we view love and i just i wonder to what degree people really interrogate those things like really yeah. think about it like I don't know, like even things like preferences, I don't feel like people are really honest with themselves about where those preferences come mm -hmm. from, you know? Yes. I don't know, I'm just like, I'm very skeptical about it. Well, I think also a large, a lot of our love culture is off television. You know, we've, we see these examples over and over again, which number one are majorly built by whiteness or white supremacy as a, mm -hmm. as a grand scheme. Like we're showing at least, I mean, now maybe there's different things on TV, but when we grew up, all we saw was two white man and woman, cis man and woman together with their kids, mm -hmm. and the man works hard, and the woman does the work, and she gets on him about certain things, and she wants him to have romantic gestures, and blah, 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 but the nuance of, like, family trauma, you know, the nuance of abandonment attachment theory you know mm. like all these different things because to me love is where you go to feel like the fullest and I think a lot of us didn't have what we needed from our parents either one or both or didn't have what we needed from our communities mm -hmm. so we go to love seeking that and then that love either mirrors us back what we already have what we're already working with or they mirror us back something different and I think often the lovers people seek actually mirror back to them their trauma and their mm -hmm. unmet issues. And to me, that person would be a catalyst to then deal with your shit. You know, like I've been in relationships where I've been like, girl, the way I have to leave this relationship and go to therapy. And it's not because of you. It's because I'm seeing these habits in myself mm -hmm. that have nothing to do with this relationship. They actually have to do with my relationship with my mom. Go figure. Just like everything else does. But we're not talking about that. And then when we get in these relationships and those things come up, it becomes the other person's fault and it becomes this it's culturally accepted for you to be in a committed relationship where you're not happy you know like i'm a on and off stripper and like strip clubs exist in part because the system of heteronormative monogamy doesn't work because oh. if it worked married straight white men wouldn't be spending half their paycheck to have pussy in their face all the time you know like we we create these shadowed corners to me people we've become a culture that accepts secrets it accepts we accept the fact that men cheat or we accept the fact that relationships fall apart or we accept the fact that we just have things in our life that aren't he's just mean to me or she just screams at me or they just treat me like shit or they just trigger my worst pain or I just find that I'm crying once a week. 
but then I'm going to stay with this person and I'm going to be with them and I'm going to use all my time and my energy to try to fix this when it's not working. And I heard someone say on a podcast recently, they were like, imagine you looked at your relationships the way that you look at like clothes. Like what if I bought a sweater and it didn't fit? I wouldn't be like, I'm going to make this too tight bra, like a bra, you know, like something you really can't have not fit right. Like, no, these underwear are extra small, but I wear a medium, but it's fine. Like I'll just make it work. even though I'm so uncomfortable and we do that with our relationships and I've done that for years. Mm-hmm. So it was a huge thing for me to get to a point in myself where I was able to like advocate for myself in romantic relationships because I've been in so many positions where I've been like, yeah, we're we fight all the time. This is you know like just shit where you're like I was like in relationship for 10 years and I didn't actually feel like I was actually like in love until last year, the person I dated last year. Like and I'm 32 years old, you know, and that shows to me like I spent 10 years working through family trauma through my partners, working through personal, you know, insecurities with my partners through my partners and really seeing that companionship is what we crave and we put the sticker true love on the companionship box and what a lot of people want is cheap rent and a lot of people want someone to come home to you know like so many people i hear be like i got in a relationship you know like we moved in because why wouldn't you want to pay 750 instead of 1500 and you're like that's why you chose to live with your partner is cuz you wanted to pay cheap rent like that's the world we live in so i'm not saying i don't think true love exists i really do and i i pray for it you know i just think that the language of what does love look like for you has never been something that's been presented to us as a people and so we're all striving for this norm that we had to pay people to learn lines we had to have 10 people write this man's lines so he could seem romantic none of that is real like the real life visions of love that we see are so different and i think a lot of us have never seen Not that we've never seen healthy love, I think a lot of us have never seen a relationship that we would want. Yeah. Like I there's certain couples that I look at and I'm like, "Oh my god, I'm obsessed with how you guys are obsessed with each other." Like but it it feels few and far between for me sometimes. I'm like, "Y'all are in a business relationship. Like mm-hmm. y'all are y'all are business partners. Like it's not the same as like love, love." Yeah. I mean, I think like um Cause that's something I wonder about like if you know love became this like I mean it seems like it had like become this additional thing that like we require where like I feel like maybe for like most of human existence like um grouping together was like survival and it was like more business related mm. like by us living together we're getting these benefits and then and then um being like oh it needs to like we need to have this additional component called like love in mm. order to like exist when it's like oh yeah maybe like love is the the new addition to the formula of like um you know joining resources to like make life easier or whatever mm. and like you know cuz i feel like we've done it in a variety of ways but now we're maybe we're doing it in this like um monogamous couple sense of like two people sharing space when other times it's been like families or staying with their family or like yeah. families like living together um so cuz i i do think about like capitalism as this thing that's like tr- 
trying to break us down and divide us and like you know there's a time where we lived extended families lived together and yeah. like mm. well let's break that down so we just have a nuclear family nuclear so you family can was like a marketing <clears throat> invention right mm. and then it and then it's like oh well you can you can leave your home you know then it was like oh you would get married and like leave your home and it's like oh you leave your home early and become another like unit of consumption and yeah. it's like oh well you can like still live in groups or it's like or you can even live like alone alone and then it's like the the more we're broken down the the greater our need to like consume as as consumers mm. i feel like capitalism is wanting us to like be able to like consume the most and that makes us need to be like the most isolated um whereas like when we are like together we consume less or like there's more of like this shared yeah responsibility and then i'm like oh yeah like how did it decide that like we need this additional thing because like maybe if we weren't concerned with love maybe we're concerned with like compatibility or companionship we would be living with people that would be a lot easier to live with mm-hmm. for ourselves it's like oh this is somebody i'm really compatible with i don't know if i feel this love idea right. but like we like live really well together mm-hmm. and like our lives are both better because of this cohabitation Mm -hmm. that's why i feel like i mean polyamory is also a loaded term but i feel like loving multiple people holds it's like important in that way where you could be like this person i'm really compatible with and we could build a home together i could spend hours alone quiet with this person this person i'm like passionately obsessed with and we're both artists and we can't actually see each other every single day because we're both working on our shit or because we're both trying to be you know say the most or do the most or think the most and what i actually need is a partner who calms me down but what my heart wants is a partner who excites me and like lights this fire and i think we limit ourselves by being like oh i should only be with this one person which again like adultery and you know like sex work is so prevalent in this world and like so many people are so much of that comes out of just people not being honest with themselves, you know, like so much is just people not being able. And as a culture, we can't say to someone like even I on this microphone, I'm like, wow, am I really just saying I'm poly to people because it's so stigmatized. But like in reality, before Western, all this bullshit that we're on now, like women were fucking multiple men and we were hunters and it didn't fucking matter if you were my husband, because can you kill that fucking bear (laughs) like can we eat the meat on it are you gonna be able to build a fire like that's the shit we're thinking about we're not like i don't know i just think we we look at love as less of like a like to me love is like a survival tool it's like a medicine it's like a salve it's like a thing you have to have in your toolkit like it's this powerful like i had the worst day ever but i'm about to go home and see this cutie pie like that love is the only thing really that is like that where it could just like wash away everything that's fucked up and make you be like i'm fine even if it's only for an hour and i think that's part of why we're so addicted to it we want it so much is because it's this remedy it's like drugs without the crazy hangover like love is the that thing but the serotonin and the the you know the physicalness of it and all that aspect of it like i just wish we had more of a language and more education as a people about what's love what's sex what's foreplay what's what's intimacy what's a crush what's this like i wish as a kid someone had said to me like you ovulate a week out of the month not the whole month hey let me tell you about this let me tell you about men and their you know like i wish someone had said so much shit to me as a per- as a young person like I wish that we can continue that conversation about like more so about sex than anything 
sexual health and safety, but like love, I feel like is more love. I feel like is more tied into sex than we want to talk about. Mm-hmm. I think as a culture, I think we'd have to like be able to put it out on the table that we've had like you know brothels for hundreds and hundreds of years, and the men who go to brothels aren't poor men who work at the you know the mine they're the politicians they're the presidents they're the fucking superstars they're the athletes like everyone we look up to they are the ones who are like investing in this culture of like i don't know blindness or just like having blind spots I don't know how to follow up with that. (laughs) No, I do think it's interesting, like, thinking about, like, the men who who are in the brothels, the men who are in the strip clubs, the men who who are actually paying for sex work, um, being the the main perpetrators of reifying this kind of, like, puritanism, like, Mm, around sex. Like, it's kind of a running joke um, that, like, all the politicians who are advocating for, like... um, abortion legislation are the ones sending their mistresses off to like literally get it taken care of you know and they still will when that shit is yeah like it's so real like that's the there's so much like what's the word i'm looking for here i don't know i'm trying to find like a certain metaphor but there's so much of that in this country of like this looks one way but it's actually completely fucking different and you know i was talking about social media with someone recently or what you were saying like where we have this like I've decided what I look like. Like I could say online that I'm a Republican and sell that image for 10 years and be totally lying. And like, it wouldn't, you know, people would just be like, Kayla's a Republican. I saw it on her Instagram. Like, so we can sell these images of like who we are as people too. We can sell images to our wives. We can sell images to our coworkers, to really anyone. And the way culture and isolation and not not having community, like, we don't pick up on each other's nuances as much. So it's a lot easier to just bullshit and a lot easier. You know, like, I feel the same way about gay rights. I think most men, first of all, I think most men have homosexual tendencies, period. Period. Not just men who hate gay people, but I think most men do. And I think if our culture didn't hate gayness so much, I think men would feel fine to be a part of that. But... I think that most of the men that we see, like, toting the torches have either been, you know, I, like, won't go so deep, but I'm, like, I think they, it's a, I can't feel good about this, so I'm going to go against it in hopes that it'll squash out what's inside of me, mm-hmm. and we don't have a lot of language about the relationship with self in our culture, and so a lot of people don't know that the thing that is on your mind every single day is the truth, dog. You know, like, you can't. You can't undo the the one story that is told every single day. Like that's impossible. Um. Hell yeah. I think. Uh, I feel like I have like I have a lot of stuff I could I could say, and I feel like this conversation could keep going on. Um. But um. I do want to be mindful of your time and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> I'm like, what time is it? So I think. Um, <laughs> with that, maybe we can shift to parting words. Oh, already. Okay. It's, it's, it's 822. Okay, I'm sorry. Oh, damn, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so I'll start. Um, I just want to say thanks to Akela for joining us. Um, it was really wonderful to talk to you about your practice and to, to hear your thoughts on love. Um, 
just a really nice moment. Um, and thank you for being so generous with your time. Yeah, thank you guys so much. This was awesome. Like, it feels so good just to talk with other people, honestly, just in general. And I think I've been having a lot of, like, existential conversations with people lately who I don't feel any, like, need to invest in their future in the smallest way or biggest way. And, like, it's nice to talk to people who are, like, a part of the same community and who are working towards like collective goals even if they look really different because it's such a different such a different conversation when you know that what you're saying the people are like able to resonate with yeah so i appreciate you guys oh yeah um yeah thank you for uh being on our podcast thank you for coming in today um thank you for yeah chatting with us and taking the time um we really appreciate it it's been cool getting to like learn a little bit about you and to like learn more about what you're up to and your projects and stuff like that um so that's super cool thank you to melanie um amazing coast thank you to all of our listeners and um i do want to say one thing before i go because well, i wanted to report. okay good sorry to cut you off i'm all like i wanted to touch on one thing because i i've i just wanted to say explicitly for like people who listen to this podcast who want to support black art like resources are amazing and like well wishes are amazing but funding is what we are all needing mm-hmm. And if ever there's a hesitation as to, like, why to fund a black artist or, like, their validity or anything, like, I just want to, like, squash all that and say that, like, all of us need that extra hand to do that work. And it is, they are our resources that are owed to us. Like, I'm saying that both for white listeners and black listeners. Like, the resources you seek are yours they should be yours you should already have them in your pocket and us trying to get to them is it's crazy we even have to fight that hard so for people who are like i want to patron the arts like don't do it on your instagrams and don't do it on your facebooks and don't do it in your rooms full of white friends talking about i really love to support black people do it by reaching out to black artists and saying how is it that i can can support you or hitting us with a number and saying this is how much i can give how what can i do because even like paying a black artist rent is enough or paying for their groceries like Mm -hmm. we are permeating culture constantly we are pushing it forward we are creating in our sleep we are all like working full-time jobs and then coming home and trying to get our shit off for us it's not for no fucking reason so i just want to say that i'm like any platform we can get on and just say like the money is where it's at, you know, like the funding is what we need and you can never give too much and you can never tell too many people like who who to send their funds to because I know people will be out here with extra and there's a lot of us who are out here with not a lot and mm. doing as much as we can, stretching and sewing and repurposing it. So yeah, I want to leave on that note on the send the money, <laughs> send the money. <laughs> send it <laughs> well can i ask is there a way for listeners to directly financially contribute to base you can always donate to us on venmo or on there as base pdx but you can also reach out to me on instagram or i have a website akaylajoffy.com or you can go on base.pdx at instagram or akaylajoffy on instagram okay. and just ask what it is that we need because you know, like we have merch that is waiting, already designed that we need an amount of money to be able to print. Or we have like projects that if someone hit us with a certain number, we could just produce. So 
I'm always here for people just giving cash donations. And I understand that sometimes people want to be like, well, what is this going towards? And another huge thing is like performance space is so crucial and charging people an arm and a leg and a toe and a face to do shows at their venues is really wild. And white venue owners need to remember that your shit is not going to be relevant without black artists. And that if you think you should give a pay cut, you should like we're, we need we can't be renting a theater for a thousand dollars like that's crazy you know so i mean honestly space. those venues should be pro bono if that's, we're being real yeah well and the like, amount of people in portland i've met with where they're like we want to help you we love face and then you hit them with a uh after the meeting you're like here's my proposal and they're like um actually we're gonna need to make 1500 if you're gonna do an event here on saturdays and you're like oh that's crazy because i met with you two days ago and you literally <laughs> were talking this big game about how you love black artists and you want to support us. So that's the thing is like Portland, we love and just white America. There's lots of masks that will tell you that they're doing something for you. And as black artists, nine times out of 10, 10 times out of 11, you are doing something for them. So remember that when you're walking into the room that like it's out like this is our shit. We built this. We just we are the infrastructure of this country and this entertainment system and everything. So it's ours. Hell yeah. <laughs> Good night, y'all. Good Thanks, night, y'all. Guys. <laughs> Norse. That was fun. It was fun. Yeah, yeah. I'm 